It's time to ride the funk train. Now listen here, folks. This is Funk Master V of the TV show Wrestling with Ghosts. I'm a pro wrestler. I'm a booty shaker. I'm a lip smacker. And let me tell you, I love independent television. Now, Cat here at Paranormal Heart is letting me talk to you for a second about a Psy Television. A-S-Y television. Look it up. Soon it will be on Roku, Fire Stick, Apple TV, and online for a cheap, low price. You can watch hundreds and hundreds of shows, including scary shows like My Own, Wrestling with Ghosts, or food shows like Go There, Eat That, Best Day Ever, The UFO Show with Amy Dumas, the list goes on and on. It's a Psy TV Dot com. Check it out now. ASYTV. Welcome to Paranormal Heart, a place where people can talk about their paranormal experiences. With your host, Cat Ward, along with a special segment, Oddities with John Mallard. Welcome back, folks, to Paranormal Heart Podcast. You can find us on Podbean on the second and last Sunday of each month. You can also find us on YouTube, SparkRadioNet.Work, Stitcher, iTunes, and any place you find fine podcasts. Folks, these are really stressful times with the COVID-19 affecting everyone around the globe. Just crazy. I can't believe this virus. Um, I'm not going to talk very much about this unseen enemy because it's all over social media. Um, Everyone already knows about it. But I just wanted to say, please use social distancing, wash your hands if you have the means to do so, and let's send out to our great planet of ours prayers, light, positive vibrations, and hope that this will all be over soon. And I have to give a shout out to all the medical people and first responders Anyone who's on the front lines right now, please be safe, everyone. Much love to everyone right now. Again, these are crazy, crazy times. Please be safe. As usual, before I get to my guest, let's hear what our resident oddball has for us. Here's Oddities with John Mallard. Hey, oddballs. Welcome back to Oddities. This month's Oddities, well, it's going to be a real bug. Or should I say virus? Yeah, bugs and viruses are two different things. See, you're learning already, as you guys have probably heard by now, and as, you know, requested by Kat herself. The coronavirus has kind of got a lot of people spooked about viruses, but really, in the grand scheme of things, it's being kind of downplayed. Yeah, it's a little worse than SARS, but the reality of it all is there's actually a lot worse stuff out there. So tonight, on Oddities, which are strange facts that are true about an odd-odd world, I am giving you guys... 
deadly viruses that can kill you right now to make you feel better about that one. Let's start with the Marburg virus. Scientists have identified Marburg virus in 1967 when a small outbreak occurred among lab workers in Germany who were exposed to infected monkeys imported from Uganda. Marburg virus is similar to Ebola in that both can cause hemorrhagic fever, meaning that infected people develop high fevers and bleeding throughout the body that can lead to shock, organ failure, and death. Isn't that delightful? Moving on. Ebola virus. Yeah. I'm sure we all made our share of Ebola virus jokes, right? The first known Ebola virus outbreak in humans struck simultaneously in the Sudan and the Democratic Republic of Congo in 1976. Ebola spread through contact with blood and other bodily fluids or tissue from infected people or animals. The known strains vary dramatically in their deadliness Yum. Delicious. One strain, though, which, you know, kind of make people really sick, is called the Ebola Restin strain. But for the Bundigoyo strain, the fatality rate is up to 50%, and it is up to 71% for the Sudan strain, according to WHO, or WHO. The outbreak underway in West Africa began in early 2014 and is the largest and most complex outbreak of the disease to date, according to WHO. <laughs> That's actually, you know, World Health Organization for all my friends out there who don't know. Moving along. So we had the Ebola virus. Well, here's one you've all heard about, too, which is rabies. Although rabies vaccines for pets, which were introduced in the 1920s, have helped make the disease exceedingly rare in the developed world, this condition actually remains a serious problem in India and parts of Africa. It destroys the brain. It's a really, really bad disease. We have a vaccine against rabies. And we have antibodies that work against rabies. So if someone gets bitten by a rabbit animal, we can treat the person. However, if you don't get treatment, there's a 100% possibility you will die. So there you go. Another death virus. HIV. <laughs> of course, we all know what HIV is. In the modern world, the deadliest virus of all may be HIV. It is still the one that is the biggest killer. And, uh, you know... Estimated 36 million people have died from HIV since the disease was first recognized in the early 80s. The infectious disease that takes the biggest toll on mankind right now is HIV. Of course, powerful antiviral drugs have made it possible for people to live for years with HIV, but the disease continues to devastate many low- and middle-income countries where 95% of new HIV infections occur. Nearly one in every 20 adults in sub-Saharan Africa is HIV-positive, according to... World Health Organization. That's scary, man. That is scary. Wrap it up, for God's sake. Smallpox. <laughs> and I always kind of wonder why it was called smallpox. You know, like, why not largepox? Anyway, in 1980, the World Health Assembly declared the world free of smallpox. But before that, humans battled smallpox for thousands of years, and the disease killed about one in three of those it infected. It left survivors with deep permanent scars and often blindness. Mortality rates were far higher in populations outside of Europe, where people had little contact with the virus before visitors brought it to their regions. For example, historians estimate that 90% of the native population in the Americas died from smallpox alone, introduced by European explorers. In the 20th century alone, smallpox has killed 300 million people. That is terrifying. See? See? You still worried about, you know, coronavirus now? Is it still scaring you? Okay, well, guess what? Things are about to get worse. Much worse. 
Have you ever heard of the hantivirus? <laughs> oh, this one is just delightful. HPS, or hantivirus pulmonary syndrome, first gained wide attention in the U.S. in the 1993 when a healthy young Navajo man and his fiance living in the Four Corners area of the United States died within days of developing shortness of breath. A few months later, health authorities isolated the hantivirus from a deer mouse living in the home of one of the infected people. More than 600 people in the U.S. have now contracted HPS, and 36% have died from the disease, according to the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. The virus is not transmitted from one person to another. Rather, people contract disease from exposure to the droppings of, oh, delightful, Infected mice. There you go. Oh, previously a different hantavirus caused an outbreak in the early 1950s during the Korean War, according to 2010 paper in the Clinical Microbiology Reviews. More than 3,000 troops became infected and about 12% of them died. Yeah, that's just delightful. Moving along. Want to know what's scarier than the coronavirus? <laughs> How about influenza? Yeah, I'm sure you kind of heard people say, oh, you know, influenza. Blah, blah, blah. It was a way worse thing. Well, you know, like, have you ever actually seen the, the facts behind this thing? Like, they're not lying, right? During a typical flu season, up to half a million people worldwide get this thing. Half a million. 500,000 people worldwide. And guess what? They die. Yeah, they die from the illness, according to, <laughs> to, like, occasionally, you know, a new flu strain emerges. A pandemic results with a faster spread of disease and often higher mortality rates. The most deadly flu pandemic, sometimes called the Spanish flu, began in 1918 and sickened up to 40% of the world's population, killing an estimated 50 million people. I think that is possible that something like the 1918 flu outbreak could occur again of course, a new influenza strain found its way into the human population and could be transmitted easily between humans and caused severeness. We would have a big problem. Well, so there you go. There's actually other flus out there that are way more lethal. In fact, chances are you're probably going to get that flu. Influenza, lots of people get it. And uh, that's why you should stay home from work. You know, you're not just playing hooky. You, you really do need your rest. Have you ever heard of dengue before? The dengue virus? Oh, man, this one's kind of scary. So I'm going to warn you about this one. If you're deploying, if you're going on vacation and stuff like this, you, you want to know about this one. The dengue virus first appeared in the 1950s in the Philippines and Thailand and has since spread throughout the tropical and subtropical regions of the globe. Up to 40% of the world's population now lives in areas where dengue is endemic. And the disease, with the mosquitoes that carry it, is likely to spread farther as the world warms. Dengue sickens 50 to 100 million people a year, according to World Health Organization, or WHO. Although the mortality rate for dengue fever is lower than some other viruses, at 2.5%, the virus can cause an Ebola-like disease called dengue or magic fever. And that condition has a mortality rate, mortality rate of 20% if left untreated. There you go. Pretty scary. Moving on. You know, when I see rotavirus, I think of, like, robot for some reason. Or, like, a rotor, and a copter or something. I don't know. But this one here is kind of creepy, too. Two vaccines are now available to protect children against rotavirus. The leading cause of severe diarrheal illness among babies and young children. The virus can spread rapidly through the researchers called the fecal-oral route, meaning that small particles of feces end up being consumed. Although children in the developed world rarely die from rotavirus infection, the disease is a killer in the developing world where rehydration treatments are not widely available. The WHO estimates the worldwide 450,000, wow, children younger than five 
died from rotavirus in 2008 alone. But countries that have introduced the vaccine have reported a sharp decline in the rotavirus hospitalizations and death. So what does this all mean to you? Well, I tell you, it means two things to me. Number one, wash your damn hands. Stop beating your children's poop. You know, clean. Be clean. Use some hand sanitizer for the love of God. You know, don't listen to Karen and her essential oils. Because guess what? Her essential oils is not going to protect you from all this stuff. It's knowledge. It's getting your vaccines. It's hand washing. It's all that good stuff. And the odd part about all this stuff is this has killed millions and millions and millions of people. There's nothing more odd than when something goes viral sometimes. And this coronavirus thing has gone viral. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. A little little virus joke there for you. But am I really worried? Well, no, not not really. I, I, I think that this is a serious thing, but I don't think we should all be, how should I say, panicking like a lot of people have been doing. And for more information on the coronavirus, uh, we actually had a piece on it on the Odd Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast. You guys can check that out. A full spread by our own resident doctor, Dr. Laura Sweenbert, who is just so happens to be involved with infectious diseases and works at a university. So she actually lays it on the lawn and tells you a whole lot of up-to-date information about that. So you guys can check that out. Anyway, I hope you guys didn't catch anything from listening to these oddities this week. And uh, I want you guys to take care of yourselves. I'm Audi. And, uh, you know, just a little tip from me to you. Someone starts coughing, someone starts sneezing. Try not to make out with them. <laughs> Back to you, Kent. My next guest came highly recommended by Dixie Cryptid himself. And these guys have a wonderful YouTube channel where they talk everything Bigfoot. And I have to admit, this is one of my favorite Bigfoot channels. They're, <laughs> I, I just love these guys. It's called Sawdust Beast. You can find them on YouTube. I think it's once a week. So please help me welcome, if you ain't got Beast, you ain't got Squatch, Mark Newbill and Larry Porch. Hey guys, welcome to Paranormal Heart. You there? <laughs> Hi, Kat. Glad to be here with you. Thanks, so... Kat. We're excited about joining you tonight. Oh, so am I. Um, folks, um, Dixie Cryptid recommended these guys highly, and if Dixie says you should have someone on your show, well, you best have them on your show. <laughs> so... Well, we hope we don't let you down. Oh, God, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Said a little bit about you guys in the intro, but why don't we start off by you guys can introduce yourself and uh, what are you doing on here? Larry, go well, ahead. <laughs> all right. My name's Larry Porch and we do Bigfoot research and we have just started a Beast TV podcast. It's a video type podcast where we show evidence and talk to different researchers across the country. And we spend a lot of time running state to state doing Bigfoot research also. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell for me. And I'm Mark Newble and I live in West Tennessee and we we do a lot of research. We cover, we, as Larry said, we cover a lot of ground. I've researched in 12 states, all the way from Georgia out to New Mexico. And we, we just love being in the woods. And we love searching for these creatures. And our motto is, the answers are in the woods. So boots on the ground. 
I also love how, I'm just looking at it now, if you ain't got beast, you ain't got squatch. I love that. (laughs) 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 Folks, you got to check them out on YouTube. Uh, I will be posting the link uh, in the show notes, so um, you won't have to go searching for them. So yeah, tell us a, a little bit about what you guys do, how long you've been doing it, and have you had any experiences? So many questions. Well, me and Larry actually met on a Facebook page. Uh, it was um, called, <clears throat> what was it called, Larry? Uh, Evidencelovers.com. <laughs> 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 It was evidence of Tennessee Bigfoot. I was going to say this. This ain't that kind of show. Cat, <laughs> uh, looks like you're going to need. Well, can I say Jack Daniels and editing software for this show tonight? I love Jack Daniels. <laughs> you got Larry Forrest a second on here. <laughs> there's there's a there's a little bottle of Jack waiting for me in the kitchen after this. <laughs> but uh, we both got interested in Bigfoot. We've always had an interest in it, but um, I didn't. I didn't know how to go about to find anybody that I could go out and start looking at one time. I thought, well, maybe I should just put an ad in the paper, you know, and, uh, and then our friend Shelly Reed, uh, she found where there was going to be an Arkansas Bigfoot conference. And I thought, this is it. This is where I can go and meet Bigfoot researchers. So we went to to the conference and I met the guys from the MABRC and got into that group. And, and really, that was a good foundation for me because I learned the correct protocols and the SOPs that researchers should use when going out in, into the field. And it was about a year later that where I met Larry and there's an area that's fairly close to us that's had a lot of Bigfoot activity happen there. And it's called Land Between the Lakes, better known as LBL. And a lot of people have seen things on the internet about the beast of LBL. So me and Larry just got together and just started going out there and researching. Yeah, I was listening. Oh, go ahead. Well, I've done a lot of hunting and fishing and I've always had an interest in the Bigfoot subject. And honestly, I didn't think they were in this area. I'd heard the story of the beast LBL. I'd done a lot of hunting around LBL and fishing also. And honestly, through my limited experience with Bigfoot, I really didn't put a lot of things together that had happened to me while I was hunting. So whenever me and Mark got together and started going to land between the lakes looking, I realized that these things could possibly be in this area. And then from there, with the EOTBF, we had an outing. We met Jim Bear King, who was over the outlaws at the time, and we got in with them. And 
we really learned a lot pretty quick between the MABRC, what they shared with us, and what Jim King and the Outlaws shared with us. Our knowledge went up exponentially real quick. I have to say that um, I don't know a whole lot about, about uh, Sasquatch because my field is more um, ghost-related, uh, but any cryptid has been a fascination of mine as well. And um, I seem to be meeting a lot more Bigfoot people lately, uh, thanks to Dixie Cryptid. Well, and you know, it's interesting that you say that because the executive director of the MABRC, uh, D.W. Lee, that's what he was doing. He was ghost hunting and they, he was, they, him and his wife, Bobby were going out to cemeteries and, and taking, you know, their ghost hunting equipment with them. And, and that's where he had his first sighting was hmm. he saw, they saw a Bigfoot in the cemetery. And so he just, stopped ghost hunting, and went straight into Bigfooting. I can kind of understand why, because uh, although we get evidence, you know, EVPs, um, you might be lucky to get something on film. Um, film, yeah, that shows my age. Uh, did, <laughs> <laughs> you might get, be lucky to get something on video or uh, or uh, some, some snapshots, some pictures, um, but you don't actually see like physical evidence all that often so if you're going to be seeing a bigfoot right in front of you i can understand why they want to change it up and and do the research for that it's it's pretty exciting whenever you have taken the time and studied the places that you want to go into larry and i from day one study the topo maps we we look for bottlenecks we always put ourselves in a position to give well we kind of call them boogers where we give the yep. boogers uh the advantage we want to get low so that they have the high ground and uh and that's where activity starts ramping up with us, you know, when you start having things that are being thrown into your camp and vocalizations and uh, trees breaking and limbs snapping, it's Larry and I are both adrenaline junkies and we, we just eat it up. We just eat it up. Do you think, because I've been hearing a lot of people talk about uh, orbs at the same time as sighting as Bigfoot sightings have, do you think there's anything that go hand in hand with those two? Thanks a lot, Mark. <laughs> Over to you. <laughs> well, I have no firsthand knowledge of anything tied in, but I do have friends and I consider them colleagues that have seen it and they do tie it in with a Bigfoot but I've not had any experience on my own with orbs or lights or whatever you want to say and a Bigfoot encounter. But like I said, I have had friends and colleagues that have had it and they do willingly time together. So I'm not going to say they don't, but just so far I haven't had that experience. You know, one way that I look 
at it. I believe my friends when they say that they have seen the orbs. And so if I was, we can pretty much speak with authority that we feel like that Bigfoot is a curious animal. And so they may not necessarily be connected, but if you're a Bigfoot and you see a glowing orb moving through the forest, you might be curious enough to follow it. And maybe that's what these people are seeing is when they see Bigfoot and the orbs together, the Bigfoot are just as curious as humans are. I never thought of that. That's a really, I, I like, yeah, you never know. That could be a possibility. Because I remember growing up, um, obviously heard of Sasquatch, and um, everybody said it was a primate. And all of a sudden, the past few years, they seem to be attaching a paranormal theme to it with orbs and everything. So I'm just wondering, any idea why that would be? Why all of a sudden people think it's a paranormal creature and not necessarily a primate? I don't know. It seems like it had a, an awful lot <clears throat> to do with the internet. And it's just like, uh, you never, before the internet, you never heard anything about dog men. And now, you know, people are seeing man dogs everywhere they go, you know, and, uh, just like up at LBL, I mean, that's like the man dog capital of the world, hmm. but we, uh, we set out a lot of audio recorders and we have probably, uh, analyzed second by second these recordings and there's we probably done 10,000 hours and there's not but one vocalization that science does not recognize that we have captured time and time again and that's what we believe or Bigfoot and so we have not seen any type of vocalizations from any other critter that you might be able to tie to these man dogs. Hmm. Yeah. Cause there's so many speculations, not only with the uh, Bigfoot, but with the dog men as well. Some say they're, they're uh, werewolves. Uh, some say that's a military experiment that they did on their, uh, their soldiers, you know, uh, it's just so funny how all of a sudden we're, we're hearing about those uh, the past few years coming out of the woodwork. It seemed to really get popular after the vampire movies. Mm. If you think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there could You're be something about to do Twilight. with it. <laughs> talking about, yeah, Twilight. And, oh, those aren't yeah. vampires. Those are sparkly little creatures. <laughs> 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 My daughter loves the Twilight series, though. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. gee. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So... Some people have had really negative, aggressive experiences with, with Bigfoot, and others have really nice experiences where they would leave them offerings like flowers or, or any, something like that. Do you think those are the same creatures that people are talking about, and it's just whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances, um, because you could have just even your own house pet, your dog, um, 
could be really friendly to one person, but not so friendly to, towards another person. So do you think it's kind of like that with, with Bigfoot, with some of these encounters? I do. I think the Bigfoot are just like what humans are. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got their own personalities. And even with any type of other flesh and blood animal, you're going to have some animals that are just naturally mean just like you do humans. And I feel that it could be the, the same thing with the Bigfoot. Well, also, I think your the environment and the situation matters <clears throat> also. If somebody barges in my house uh, <laughs> unwelcome, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be very nice. No. <laughs> so I think at times it just different situations, the people have pushed in further than they needed to call them in a situation that they don't feel like they can get out of, or maybe they're close to their young or something like that. And they just want them to leave. And we've been in situations where we've had aggressive activity and we're dumb enough to stay there, but <laughs> it will usually wane off whenever they see that they're not going to scare you and it amp up again at a later time. But Overall, I think it's a situation and how far you've moved in to their area. And also, like Mark said, different ones have different personalities or maybe had a bad day. <laughs> you never maybe. know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Now, I've also heard that um, some, believe, some researchers believe that certain areas in the United States, they're a lot more aggressive and in other parts, they're a little more docile. Do you think that's, that's true? Or again, would it be the situation, like depending on, on uh, if someone's encroaching on their own territory? I think somewhat that's true. I think probably in the South, they have less habitat. So they are dealing with humans more and probably a little more wary of humans in this area than up in the Pacific Northwest, where they may not see a human. They may not see one their whole life unless they just go looking for one, <laughs> I guess. But <laughs> I think that's pretty much the difference is their habitat and the situations they're stuck in. Hmm. Yeah, and then there's people like Dixie who's never encountered one before, and other people, they have they see them all the time. So I wonder why that is. Any ideas? Well, we have ran into a lot of people. It seems like that every time they go into the woods, they're going to, experience some type of Bigfoot activity. And um, we kind of take a different approach to it. It We won't, if, if we find, uh, let's say, a tree break, we are not going to just run out of the woods and announce to the, to the World Wide Web that we have found Bigfoot evidence. We start there and we do like trackers. We start circling until we find the next sign. And we are very adamant about proving to ourselves, eliminating anything else that it could possibly be before we say, and we will say possible or probable. We, unless we actually see a Bigfoot do something, then we don't know who did it because we didn't see it, but it's possible or probable that it is Bigfoot activity. 
and that's why we're different than a lot of people. A lot of people will say it is and not really have a lot of information to back up their claim, just their story. It's kind of like not that. saying they're telling a lie or nothing, but yeah. some people's imaginations or what they deem as a fact is different than what other people do. Or they want so strongly to say that it was a Sasquatch that they're going to see the Sasquatch in every corner of their eye, like everywhere they look. Right. It's kind of yeah. like that. It's kind of like that in the paranormal too, looking for ghosts. Not everything that goes bump in the night is actually a ghost. You know, it could be your furnace or something. You know, but some people Why? are just so adamant, and they just have that mind frame that they want it to be a ghost so badly that they're going to believe it is. Right. I was mentioning to a friend, uh, Brian Bowden, the other day. He's also a researcher. And um, I was telling him, I said, how do you know like when, when people say they do tree knocks and then they hear uh, at a distance, they hear tree knocks as well. And they say, oh, I'm, I'm getting a reply. And I said, how do you know it's not some other guy going, oh, hey, I just got a reply. Yeah. It could be just two guys. <laughs> so how do you know when you hear the tree knocks? How, how can you distinguish that? Uh, well, one thing that we do with our research is we try to eliminate the human factor. Mm hmm so where most people might just like a deer hunter, not get further than a hundred yards off the road, we go deep into the forest. Uh, this one place in the Appalachians that we go, uh, the drive in it's on old gravel roads. It, uh, you, uh, the last hour of the drive, you have no cell phone reception and then whenever the road dead ends, we get our backpacks and we hike miles in. And we've been to this place five or six times and we have never seen or heard a human in this area. Hmm. And when we go in, we usually spend three to four days at a time when we go in. Yeah, just one day is not enough. Right. So what's, what's some of the interesting um, evidence you've ever come across? We have had, um, we do a lot of audio recording, setting out recorders. Uh, we have captured so much stuff uh, off these recorders. And like I said earlier, we, we lit, when we analyze these recordings, we do it second by second, and if we find something that's suspicious to us, some type of vocalization, uh, we put it on the spectrogram, and every animal has a frequency signature, and so we're able to distinct, distinguish, like where somebody will say, well, that was a coyote. Well, you look at it on the spectrogram, and it's not a coyote. And the signature is, uh, the graph is something that science does not recognize. And so there's no other animal to compare it to. Um, we've, we've had a lot of interaction. Uh, Jim Bear King has, he grew up in Mississippi. And there was boogers on his property. And he learned at an early age the different vocalizations that these creatures make. 
And so he started uh, uh, mimicking these vocalizations. So a lot of times uh, we'll drive around and use these vocalizations to try to get a response. And that's kind of like a locator for us to kind of find out where they might be. And so, and we've had interesting things that happened. Larry, you could tell her about when we were in Georgia. Well, in Georgia, like Mark said, we'd go around and do these calls and bear. We'd came to this bridge area and bear did some calls and he didn't get any response at all on his first call. So he called again, didn't get any response. And we were standing there discussing if we wanted to move on or whatever. And you could hear something coming through the leaf canopy. And you could tell it was the trajectory. Something had thrown like a rock or a pebble at us. And Bear's like, did you hear that? And I'm like, yeah, that was something thrown. Because it didn't fall straight down. You could hear it coming through the leaves. And he said, there's one close to us right now. So... He called again and still nothing answered, but something else was thrown. So we stood there for a little while and I still don't understand this to this day, but he turned the other way and did a call. And Mark can tell you, it was like two banshees were coming through the woods, just started screaming and coming from a long way away toward us. I would say they were probably 500 yards or more, but you could tell they were closing the distance and screaming. So we, in our heads, figured a juvenile or a younger one had come down to that area to mess around, play in the creek or whatever, and we got him isolated from the main group, and that main group was coming to get him. They thought he was in trouble from probably uh, bear yeah. doing the calls but as we were standing there those two <clears> were coming mark took the flare and went down the road because it made a curve he was going to see if they crossed the road he could catch them with a the flare there and we stayed on the bridge and those two kept coming and then we heard another vocal from another one that sounded more masculine a bigger and you could hear it coming down the creek. It wasn't trying to hide or nothing. It was just stomping down toward us. And everybody was hearing it. And we were all standing there. And we were scanning for the one that was close with the flare. And we never could pick it up. The mountain laurel around there was so thick. It was sitting right there somewhere. And we just couldn't pick it up because of the leaf canopy there. But that other one... It, it made some kind of grunt or huff, and you could hear it do a bluff charge down the hill at us. And Bear had a Dr. Pepper bottle or something in his hand. He started beating it and making a noise that he had heard females reprimand juveniles with, and it stopped it. And then it just went quiet from that point. We could still hear something moving around, but it took all the aggression out of the area. But 
We just knew something was about to jump up on that bridge and get us. <laughs> so the sound you make, the juvenile's probably thinking, oh, crap, Mama's not happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a pretty exciting little turn there. <laughs> <laughs> were you uh, were you guys uh, kind of giddy with excitement? <laughs> Yeah, everybody was except some of the people were getting in the vehicles. There was <laughs> there was what eight to ten of us on that yeah. bridge. Yeah, I would say there was probably six or seven of us still out on the bridge after this had all happened and talking about it and what went on. And some of them had done got in the vehicles and shut the doors. <laughs> 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 they were ready to go. <laughs> that would probably be me. I would much rather uh, investigate ghosts than a creature that can rip my head off and spit down my neck. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I really don't know how guys like you can go out and, and uh, investigate these creatures because, like I said, no, no. <laughs> I kind of would like to see one from a safe distance, but uh, no, I don't, I don't want to go looking for them. Well, me and Larry are kind of dumb. So <laughs> that's, that's what we always kid each other. When you hear people tell stories that they're running for the trucks, me and Larry, we never run. We just kind of circle the wagons and yeah. uh, because we just want to see them. Yeah. And uh, so that's, that's just what we do. Have you ever heard of the, um, or heard yourself here trying to, pick my words here there's a there's some people that say they have like a uh their own language like it's japanese or monks uh, chanting or anything like that have you heard any of those i have uh several times and i'll tell you a story i was <laughs> out with the mabrc and me and a feller named mike hartsell were we were on four wheelers and we were going out and we were setting out audio recorders and we were going through the woods. We were stopping maybe every 200 yards and sitting at a recorder. And we stopped. And uh, Mike said, look over there. And we, I looked over there and some of this tall, dead grass, it was matted down. But it looked like a big animal that had made a bed laying down. And... Sometimes you get these feelings like the hair standing back up on your neck. And I, we both had that feeling. And so I told Mike, I had a video recorder and I've got lights on it. And I said, I'm, I'm going to walk into the woods and just walk around and see if there's anything that I can see in the, the further I walked, the more I felt like I was walking into the abyss because it was just that strange feeling that, you know, rushes over you. And I walked all the way up to where it, a ravine, it dropped off into a deep gorge. And so I turned around and I walked back and Mike was done sitting out the recorder and we, and we drove off on the four wheelers. Well, about two weeks later, we were in Falk, Arkansas, and Mike says, I want you to listen to something. And he, from the time that he turned on the recorder, 
you can uh you can hear us uh you can hear when i walk back and we're talking and you can hear us start up the recorders and drive off but after as the sound of the four-wheelers dissipated you could hear what sounded like a language and it was gibberish that one was talking that was fairly close to the recorder and then there was another one that answered that what that sounded like it might have been 50 yards away and it was all you know it's just speculation on my part but it was it was almost like that one was telling the other okay they're gone now you know and then uh larry can tell about uh debbie jones from the sisters of the moon what they captured because that's just some awesome awesome uh it's it's like a language well i'd rather debbie tell that story but i can tell a story of language i heard and mark was there but he didn't hear it live he heard it on recording but we had been asked to go to Ohio by two of her friends, Kane Michael and Eric Tipton, they'd put a lot of work into a research area and knew that this spot was going to be a hot spot. So they asked us to come up and go in and camp with them. So we did. And on the way in, we were getting whoops. We were getting tree limbs broken, trees pushed down. They didn't like us coming in this area. And this was during the daylight. So we got set up and that night, we had some interaction. They were messing with another guy. He had a little coffin tent, little hiker tent. They were pulling on his guideline and stuff and all kinds of grunts and you could hear them breathing, all kinds of stuff like that. So the next night I told the guy that they messed with his tent that I would stay up because I had a flare and I gave him a two-way radio and I kept one and told him, if one gets over there messing with you, which he was about 50 yards from me, just to key it up to let me know, and I was going to stay up all night, and I was going to try to catch him on the flare. So I stayed up all night. It got to about 3.30, and I heard my buddy's alarm go off because he gets up and goes to the gym at 3.30. <laughs> and I thought, thank goodness, this night's about over with. I thought it was 6 or 7 and the alarm was for getting up and going to work. And I looked and it was 3.30 and I was like, man, I still got two hours more to go. So I was laying there and about 4.30, I hear behind me about 50 yards, something go, ooh, 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 yeah. Just loud and plain. And I thought I was the only one up and the only one that heard it. But the guy that his alarm went off to go to the gym. He was still up. He heard it too, but we also called it on the recorder. But it was like he was saying, all right, I give up trying to run y'all off or whatever. Yeah. Or he was talking to the other ones, just leave them alone. We're not doing any good. I don't know what he was saying. <laughs> They're just but you not could leaving. Hear, you could hear the disgust in his voice. Wow. Like, <laughs> well, that fascinates me, the language part. Right. Wow. But that that was intriguing to us, and that's the only time I've heard it live. We've heard recordings, like Mark said, Sisters of the Moon, Debbie Jones. They've caught some good stuff, but that's the only one I've actually heard besides the recording that 
Mike and Mark got. Hmm. Yeah, I um, I th I think the, t the paranormal investigative team that I'm with, I mentioned before on uh, another episode, that um, during an investigation at a local uh, place here called uh, Buck Hill, um, where we were, we had some uh, little pebbles being thrown at us, and we didn't think anything of it, and um, thinking. Um, the psychic on our team says, well, probably elemental throwing, throwing stones at us, trying to get our attention. So we go up the, the hill a little bit, and we heard this. It, th this hill is pitch black. There's no straight lights. There's no houses. Um, you can't even, if there's no light source at all, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. It's so dark. So it was a bunch of us standing, you know, everybody with different pieces of equipment, and all of a sudden we heard this loud crash in the woods. And... If it was as big as we think it was, you know, um, it, it, it was a huge thing. And then all of a sudden, I, I jokingly said, well, maybe it's a Bigfoot. Let's go look. Then I thought, oh, crap, wait a minute. And then the small pebble, <laughs> the small pebble started making sense. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> That's yeah. probably about the only. Oh, oh, and when we heard the crash, it's so funny. You see a bunch of invest paranormal investigators all of a sudden. We all huddled together in a circle, back to back, instinctively. It was kind of funny, and we're looking in all directions. You know, no light sources, wondering where where is it coming from. Um, right. But yeah, at that moment, then it's like, well, yeah, now the pebbles make sense, and I'm not going in. And if that was a Bigfoot, that was the only encounter that I've ever had, and, and I'm good with that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it sounded big, like... Uh, it's so dead quiet up there that if it would have been a person try to push a tree over, we would have heard them walking through the through the woods, but we heard right. nothing, just dead silence. And all of a sudden, this, oh yeah, it was, yeah. Then when when we started thinking about the pebbles, it's like yeah, I mean, we might want to move move down a little bit. <laughs> right. So again, I don't know how you guys do it. <laughs> Put me in a dark building, you know, looking for ghosts anytime. <laughs> <laughs> like our good friend Bear says, if you can't punch it in the nose, we don't want nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, my husband's about the same way. He's like, if it, if I can't make it bleed, I don't want to find out about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about your show. Well, this was, uh, <clears throat> well, I've had to. Sawdust Beast Channel up since I've been researching, and there were mostly uh, field evidence videos uh, where we would share different things that we would find and uh, share some of our SOPs, how we go about to research. We do a lot of primitive camping in hammocks in the middle of nowhere, where if something does happen in the middle of the night, there's no running out. And, but Larry came up with this great idea of doing a live podcast. And, um, I'm kind of computer stupid. So <laughs> it's hard for me to figure out the different things to set <laughs> up. And somehow or no another, I stumbled my way through it to where we could actually have a live uh, video feed with a guest. And we, we call it Beast TV. We do it 
every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we've had some really great guests on there. And, And really, our objective, our goal with it is for maybe there may be a researcher out there that that flies under the radar, does their own thing. You know, they're not trying to be some internet star, but they're wanting to learn. And so we try to get people on there that will share things. And hopefully researchers out there can pick little nuggets out that they can use to tweak their own strategies and the own, their own way of doing things to help bring them success in the field. It's a great idea. I've uh, listened to a couple of episodes and I really, really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to listening to more. I'm going to have to do a marathon. (laughs) 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 So if you guys had any advice for anyone who wants to get into this field, what advice would that be? Well, I would say seek out somebody with knowledge and experience that are grounded, (laughs) humble, and willing to teach. Somebody that's willing to go out in the woods with you and show you things. Uh, Some of the, well, I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say to pick wisely who you choose to mentor you to go out with. There are some out there that want the money and the fame. And there are a lot out there that truly want to figure out what's going on what these things are and to get science to pick up on what they are and to, but that would be the number one advice just pick somebody or a group that you're comfortable with that are humble and willing to teach you and go out and show you and mark and i have been lucky enough with the MABRC, that they helped us out a lot, and the outlaws helped us out a lot. But, I mean, through our our podcast, we have met people from the NAWAC that's a real good organization. We've met people from the Pacific Northwest, the Olympic Project, all kinds of good people. There are some great folks in the Bigfoot community, and you want to steer your way to those people and away from the, the bad people in the community. Our friend, Dan Rickey, will say, research the researchers. Yes. And so, right. Because you do want to find someone that you mesh well with. If you would not go out fishing with this with a person for a weekend, you certainly don't want to go into the, wo- into the woods with them. Bigfooting. That's a great point. Yep. Excellent. Well, guys, we're we're almost at the end. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Well, we just want to thank you for inviting us on. Uh, I know Cam Butner from Dixie Cryptid. He just he just raves about cat. You know when he called me up and said. You have got to talk to this lady. He goes, I hope you don't mind that I give her your information, but she's just such a sweet lady and you will really enjoy 
talking to her. And, and we just want to thank you for having us on and listening to us because we really enjoy talking about Bigfoot and we enjoy sharing with people how we go about it. So hopefully it might help them out. Thank you very we much. We do for appreciate being on here. And I mean, we do try to have fun, whatever we're doing. Yep. We're serious about our research, but we also have fun whenever we're out there and we have fun on our podcast and on this podcast, we do joke a little bit and, but we do want to be able to reach people through humor, through real life events that we've had in the woods and just try to solve this puzzle. We're just trying to find a piece at a time and figure it out. I agree with the humor too, uh, with uh, paranormal research as well. It, it's not always serious. We joke around a lot too, so you gotta. It, it kind of, it just lightens the mood and it helps. I think. And I think, probably, if <clears throat> with your uh, ghost hunting, if you're with well-grounded people, it one thing that we see with Bigfoot, and we're very humble about what we find and and the way that we share it. But it seems like that the more that we learn, the more that we realize that we don't know. Amen. Yeah, I was just going to say that. So true. <laughs> well, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you being on here. I had a blast, and I want to have you guys on again at some point. Sounds great. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, Miss Cat. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, just stay stay on here. We'll chat just for a couple of minutes. But um, thanks so much for listening, everybody. And you guys take care. Well, we've made it to the end of another episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, take care of each other. And if you'd like to be on the show or have questions and comments, just drop me an email, paranormalheart13 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Paranormal Heart would like to extend a special thank you to PurplePlanet.com for supplying the music for the show. The views and opinions expressed on Paranormal Heart are those of the host and participants. 